All right, Beyonders, welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. This is Winnie Warcry. Just one week after we recorded our last episode, the Nova Open had happened. Uh, well, it has happened, and uh, we are here to talk about the tournament and what happened during it. It was a great event, and I know Jason was there to help me uh, run the uh, run the event. And Dan, I know you were following along closely, so. Um, we're excited to talk about it all together here tonight. And I've had many requests from our listeners to get this episode out quick. Gosh darn it. They want to hear what we have to think about it. So I appreciate everybody for, yeah, gosh darn it. So uh, I, I thank you everybody for listening. Thank you for being interested in this. And also thank you to all of our players who played the game because we wouldn't have anything to talk about if there weren't people who show, didn't show up to the tournament, right? So yep. um, those, in my opinion, the people who were playing this last weekend were all the big winners of this because overall it seemed to be a really fun event and uh, people were coming away with smiles, which I think is a good sign of a great tournament. So uh, we are going to skip our hobby table today, mostly because Jason and I, it's like a disaster of terrain all over our uh, table or, or the remnants of terrain anyway for having uh, painted up like basically three boxes of terrain to get on the table for the tournament to make sure that we had enough tables for everybody. And um, I mean, I'm looking over at my table right now and I just got to figure out what I need to do next. Probably my horns of Heshut that I've been putting off forever, especially since we saw some amazing lists with the horns this last weekend. So, um, but we're going to skip that. And uh, I think that there's been plenty of coverage of the uh, Nova open reveals. The, the funny thing about the Nova open reveals for us, Jason, is that we're always setting up something during the Nova open reveals. We're setting up our tables, our terrain, all that stuff. So we're never like actually in the event when they're revealing this stuff. And by the time that we're able to digest it, like the next day we're in the tournament. And so we're usually like two or three days late to the Nova open reveal party, even though it's happening, like literally like 50 yards away from us. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like we don't get to see the reveal stuff until like days later. So um, there's been plenty of people that have covered it. I know that um, off meta musings has done like a, a big long video about, about it, but um I am excited to see this box come out. Right and, here, um, buddy. <laughs> what's that? Nothing. Nothing. You're good. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Just that I yeah. put out a video like hours after it happened, but uh, oh, you did. Okay, you were so, in. So see, like, here's notice. the problem, yeah. Dan. Yeah, here's the problem is like I, I'm like not monitoring anything over the like the weekend, right? So, yeah. Yeah. um, I gotta. I all the only reason I know off Meta Musings video like um. Uh, came up is because his came up in my short feed, and I'm like, oh, he did a video about it. So maybe yeah. we need to cut some shorts off of your video, Dan. You know? I can't stand the shorts <laughs> system, but it is YouTube's pretty pushing it pretty hard. I think they want to compete with Instagram, and I think yeah. that's what they think mm -hmm. is going to do it. So yeah. they uh, give you a lot of incentives for doing shorts. Yeah, for sure. But um, yeah, so go check out Salty's video. We'll uh, we'll we'll tag it up here in the uh, in the little corner thing here over there somewhere um you know and you can check out his video on it because uh we'll put a co-host video in here right absolutely <laughs> whatever <laughs> so, you want 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know what? We're here to talk about the tournament because that's that was really the big news for our little Warhammer community, um, especially those that are in our Discord. The, the cool thing about our tournament is that we attracted a lot of folks from the East Coast. We had a bunch of people from New York who came down, New York, New Jersey area. We had a lot of people in the, of course, in the Washington D.C. area that came. We had folks from Pennsylvania and Ohio that came out, um, and uh, uh, Chris Hyde obviously came from New Mexico, which is, you know, a good trip for him. Um, and uh, so it was great to see him there. And yeah, I mean, so it was a very kind of East Coast centric tournament. Um, and I hope in the future we can get more folks. Um, from across the country to come and play. I understand uh, the the Nova opens in a funny weekend where you're either totally free or you're not free at all. Right. Like it's kind of not like in the middle. It's just because it's Labor Day weekend. And so either people have plans that's and, and summer plans or they're totally open and they can come. So uh, it doesn't seem to be like there's like folks that are just coming for one day or two days. Like they're either all in or they're all out. So um, and I think that's just timing there. But yeah. Um, okay, so let's talk about the tournament. Yeah. Um, we hosted our tournament. We talked a little bit about the format two videos ago um, when we did the Royal Beast Flayers. I did the introduction of the format. So this was supposed to be a 32 person tournament um, with four pools of eight that would compete within their pools. The winners would then move on to the top bracket. The second place folks in those pools would play for the, um, the so you had the the shield, uh, the cup, the, sh the bowl, the shield, and plate. And um, those are tournament names that I got from uh, rugby. So I have, co I have uh, put together rugby tournaments in the past um, where you had uh, 16 to 20 teams that were competing in uh in a basically a day tournament they'd have five to six games that they would play and um basically this was a rugby sports tournament and so you'll probably hear us compare this um as a sports style tournament versus a swiss style tournament and so that's kind of the designator when we're talking about it and uh anyway so having put together rugby tournaments and um liking that format we decided to try this out where we had, again, the pool play and then um, elimination play. And I want to be, I want to talk about, um, well, well, we'll get into it. So what we did is we obviously had um, some interesting matchups that happened in the pool play uh, because people realized that in order to get to that top spot, you needed to win three games to get into that top bracket. You needed to be 3-0. and And we had four 3-0 and winners that ended up competing for that top bracket. Um, but what were some interesting matchups or scenarios that you guys ended up seeing um, throughout the tournament that, that caught your eye? Uh, Dan, why don't, we, why don't we start with you? Yeah, I guess my question to you is, do you mean like specific players and lists or do you mean matchups specifically? I do think one cool thing that your sort of format did create. I'm unfortunately I am going to be the one reigning on a few parades and in, in terms sure. of the format. But one thing that I do think was really cool is the way it kind of created collision courses throughout mm -hmm. the tournament, where you know in such and such pool, you know this listed well and this dis 
this listed well. Oh, but they didn't match up this round. So that means like, are they going to match up in round three or is it, um, there were some really cool kind of situations like that, that I was really interested in. For example, the one turn or the one pool that had the chimera in it and had the horns of Hashut in it where, you know, they spent their first two rounds just 20 owing their opponents, just mm-hmm. laughing their opponents off the field. And that created a really exciting sort of vibe around like, well, what's going to happen when they finally face off? Uh, and then it turned out that, you know, they faced off on an objective mission where a 13 or a 12 model list against a five model list is not going to be close if you can bracket the chimera quickly and then the flamethrower just brackets the chimera in round one and then all of a sudden you know the game is over immediately but even though that sort of was a little anticlimactic it was like really exciting seeing mm-hmm. that evolve and then as far as lists go i thought that that chimera list was a real statement in that he went four and one really great performance and his only loss was, you know, a pretty bad scenario list matchup. And otherwise, the Chimera just laughed everything it played against off the field. It In bracket play, it wasn't close. He was in the third placers bracket. Um, there, mm-hmm. This is one of the criticisms I had of the, we can get into this later, but there were a lot of situations where the second most impressive list in the pool ended up third on tiebreakers, even though they had often like beaten the second place or things like that. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, the the performance there was just incredible in terms of how well it did. And the the list around the Chimera was not particularly like spicy or necessarily like really min maxed out of its mind and it still just dominated everything so i know a lot of people who have been saying the chimera is not a problem it's really just plague bearers that are a problem and people bringing the chimera with plague bearers like is fine and good but it's it's really the plague bearers and they're just picking something big to go with it and i i think this really proves that that couldn't be further from the truth uh that you know yeah. andy if if matchups had been different and he'd met different players in different missions, I think he could have won the tournament. And that should terrify everybody for, you know, future large events until GW does something. Yeah, I mean, I was interested in his list because it, you know, in, we talked about this five models and then the Camaro. So you're talking about a six model list. And four of those models were like gores. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know what i mean like yeah. not not too beefy and you know like they're just there to be bodies and so um it was pretty pretty interesting so i agree i think um the uh because i mean the the plague bearer list has how many plague bearers in it with the chimera like six or seven yeah you, i usually get to eight models uh yeah. five of them are plague bearers and then you can get some other slightly better fighters in there just a little bit um but but yeah he did he was two in one on objective missions for example right you know what i mean so two in one on on objective missions with a five model list is really wild so i was really impressed with that well and i'll say too that the last objective mission that he was on was um 
uh, uh, power struggle, right? And so, or was that, that the first one? That was the first one. What was the last one? Supremacy. Yeah. Am I am I getting my names wrong? I'm probably getting my names wrong. They're they're so similar because they're both the ones yeah. with four objectives. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that last one, those objectives are super close. So if you have that Chimera in the middle, he can drag and mull almost anything on any objective. Oh, you know? cool. Okay. So, mm -hmm. so like, it's funny because it, you know, that last, that last, and that's the one where, um, you, uh, it's not supremacy, uh, season control. That's the mission. It's season, season control. control yep. And so, um, you, uh, that's the one that if you get all four objectives, you get 10 battle points in that round. Yeah. Right. Instead of one for each of them. Right. And so you're set to try to like capture, capture all of them. Um, which is a tough thing to do. But if he can get the Chimera in the middle of those, you can literally drag and maul like from each of those um, objectives. So yeah. that's a tough one to keep your guys on and not get dragged and mauled to death, yeah. right? So um, <laughs> that's because they are that close. And in fact, I had to make a rule that I think that we should probably ask GW about um, because it, this is a rule in Age of Sigmar, but it's not specifically made in Warcry, which is... Um, you the rule should be that a model can only count towards one objective and you need to determine it at the end of its activation um because the chimera where it was sitting was counting could have counted towards two objectives in in terms of controlling them and so that that rule is in age mm. of sigmar very clearly right that like when if you have a model that's contending for two objectives you have to choose which one that it is controlling and I think that um, Warcry needs that same thing because of some of the oval bases or bigger bases that they have. And then you determine that at the end of its activation. So we made that uh, kind of fact rule for this tournament because of that specifically. Hmm. So I think I disagree with you there. I kind of like that cavalry can count for two, especially because most cavalry is just really overcosted and kind of mm -hmm. bad. Uh, but I agree, it's kind of broken with monsters. I think monsters in general, just the implementation, they didn't get it right. Uh, yeah. So it, because I agree, it's totally broken with monsters where you can count for two. And then you're right on supremacy, thinking about the geometry, you can be counting for two and reaching the other two with Dragon yep. Maul, which is just mm -hmm. wild that you can do yeah. that. Yep. So, uh, Man, I just think they've got to go back to the drawing board with how monsters work, and maybe yeah. even think about whether they should be in the game. Yeah, and it's 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 true, man. Because uh, I played um, I played Andy on his first round with uh, I was playing Staffbot at the time, right? And um, you know, the purpose of Staffbot is to make sure no one has a buy and has to just sit at the table. They can still play and roll some dice and have fun. Uh, but I was kind of spending the whole time thinking about his chimera and recognizing that, you know, even with my, cause we, I think our staff bot, it was a night haunt list. Um, even with my fly to be able to get all the way around the board, there was absolutely nowhere on the board. I could go to where he couldn't grab me if he had a triple, like nowhere, yeah, nowhere at all. No blocking, no, you know, with other models, nothing. He could just position and grab him all six inches and pull me. Right. It's just, it's so broken, man. It's too, it's too much. Yeah. Yeah. And the other monsters, at least, you know, they went up so many points that they're, 
just like you make just so many the sacrifices, list to put them in. Put, yeah. it just skews up the list. But uh, the Chimera, it still functions. So yeah, it's it's just well, really it's, weird and wild on the board. It, it's because it has, a, a, in my opinion, a smaller base than some of the other monsters, like the, you know, like the big um, Arachnorok has like a dinner plate, right? Yeah. So it has like a, a, a smaller base and it can fly. So terrain is not a big deal to yeah. um, that Chimera yeah, a true. lot of, compared to other other big monsters, right? And so, the uh, the the rampage fact kind of made it harder to bracket it because now your big hitters absolutely. that are slower can't get in as yeah. easily. A hundred percent. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yep. But you're right. Like I tested at home and I found Thundercats were actually terrifying for the Chimera because like they could come in from ten inches away. And if there was a rampage, they could come in and just like hit it three times from 10 inches away. And it, yeah. like, that would be the game. Um, but now like a rampage does nothing for you. So that's yeah. unless that's you get a six and then you only move six. Right. 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 Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's kind of interesting. Well, so good on you, Andy, for bringing a chimera. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> we need exactly. You know, the food for thought is good. And I think it would have the data like, yeah. Got to have the data, and he brought a not that broken surrounding list to go yep, with it right. too. And so the yep. fact that he was still, you know, took it to four and one, I'm sure he had to like think pretty hard about where he placed it. But he clearly he succeeded because you got he left you guys thinking, man, like it's broken what you can do on this on this specific scenario with where he placed it, and that's yeah, that's good smart play, and uh, really leaves a lot of food for thought. Yeah, and yeah. I want to. Um, I also want to call Andy out. I'm going to share my screen right because he brought. Um, he brought two custom made tables, that yep. were just amazing. So here's here's the first one. Right, uh, I click the share button. There we go. Right, beautiful table. Like he oh, put yeah. a lot of hard work into that. Right, and this is a fun table. Basically, defending oh, two forts across the moat. Yeah. Right. Oh wow. And you know, there's different levels of uh, of terrain, so this is like an inch up, right? And he did he made an effort intentionally to make thing think, make sure things were the one inch, two inch, and three inch, so yeah. you didn't have this kind of funny like you know one point two five inch war cry problem. It was things yeah. were things looked great and natural and earthy, but they were still one inch, two inch, three inch. And then let me show the uh, well. I was going to say two real quick that that terrain's yeah. a little high. For my liking, however, yeah. with the stairs there, that negated its it, the problematic height, mm. you know, and yeah. so even mounts could go up there if they needed to. Yeah, and I saw when most people when people were playing objective missions um, where the objectives were close to the terrain, most players did the right thing, right? Like they put they moved the they 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 nudged over the castle and put the terrain on the battle floor. So that you could capture it from whether you were standing above or below, which made for interesting play. Because if you had a flyer or someone that would just jump to the top and sit up there, like, all right, then the guys would just move to the bottom and they'd contest it. Yeah. Right. Because because objectives are infinite points of the space, uh, at least the way that we played at the tournament. So beautiful terrain, super fun to play on when you get to see stuff like that. Very immersive. Right. Let me. Um, let me uh, make sure I don't remove you, Dan. I almost removed you by accident just now. But uh, <laughs> uh, here is the, let me throw this one up there because I want to show the other one that he made. Um, this one was also really, really good looking. And this one was interesting uh, trying to play on too. It kind of had this like 
futuristic like oh, you yeah. know barren landscape but like some super you know power i tell you justin and i were both thinking right what did you think this looked like justin uh the fortress of solitude from superman that's right oh i just totally wanted to go does. over there and push ice yep. crystals down right yeah it <laughs> does but we, uh but somebody who uses that same 3d printed set and uh, yeah. he made it look like a realm gate yeah mm -hmm. so we call yeah. it the realm gate when we play on it yeah that's really cool so but, this uh, is 3d printed terrain from a company in england um that donated it to us and um let me look up their name while you're talking about it jason yeah but same thing here right like these are like an inch height two inch yep. height and then three inch height so he did a really good job kind of sticking with the standard like war cry um height slash obstacle mm -hmm. kind of thing and it gave a nice flavor you know and also it had nice pathways so that you had movement yep. around there you know if you had a monster you could kind of still play in the game with it but uh i thought i thought it was really cool to have those kind of at the two tables there and i think people were excited to play on them so thanks andy for bringing that so the terrain that he had both the castle one and this sort of superman uh, fortress of solitude you know columns that are rising from the ground are from dark fantastic mills and again they do 3d printing out of england and they have just amazing mm -hmm. terrain and a lot of it is modular so like that terrain, that castle stuff, like you could have actually built a longer wall that's magne magnetized and you could like mix and match and stuff like that. So it's um, very cool. You know, you could lay one down on the ground as if it like had crumbled or, you know, different things. So it was really, really neat. And um, I think uh, one of our, who, who ended up winning the table, Jason? Do you remember? Um, it was actually one of our friends down in, um, uh, outside of Fredericksburg, or I think uh, the two, the two family members. One of them was out of Williamsburg, and the other was out of. Um, oh, bowling! Uh, yeah, it was um, Ronald Bowling? I think yes. He won. There you go. Yep. 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 So it was very cool. Very cool. Um, cool. All right, Jason. What was the, what was the takeaway from the tournament for you? Like something interesting that you saw? Yeah. So um, number one, I thought that the custom terrain tables were awesome, but I think um, um, Javi Martinez's list, the triple flamethrower horns of a shit right so i mean he and he's the guy that took the like gave the hard loss to the camara list right and you could argue be, you know it was just like the perfect setup and but but that's that's a that's a war cry for you at, at times yep but he had 55 battle points he went out of the pool right we had three games in the um in the um pods he went out of that pod with the highest score in that he had 55 at a three and oh Right. And that Which and means he only missed out told, on five points. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I remember I remember him telling me as he as he play tested that list that those that triple fire uh flamethrower, you could just cover anywhere in the battlefield and have the threat of that. Plus, I mean there's I still don't like the way the horns look in terms of models, but <laughs> that that flamethrower is no joke. And the ash was it ash grenade. Um, yep. and smoke Ash grenade bomb. those are serious like control uh battlefield control mm -hmm. uh abilities um so that really i think i'm excited to see the horns be that high up coming out of the pods that's that's really interesting to me yeah yep uh i, I know andy was a little frustrated because he had a chimera behind cover 
And that because it's an ability that that flame was hitting him cover with, doesn't count. Yeah. Cover doesn't matter. And he's just like, I'm, you know, it's like, I'm trying to do what I can, but it didn't matter. You know, it's not, that, it's not an attack. doesn't nasty. feel, I kind of agree. It doesn't feel right. You know, yeah. because a flamethrower literally does use a lot. You know, it's not like yeah. a wizard bolt, like a wizard calling down lightning. They don't need to see you, right? They just need to know where sure. you are. Yeah, but you know, this isn't the only game that treats flamethrowers that way. I mean, even in Legion, the flamethrowing snort snow trooper uh, ignores cover. It ignores cover, yeah. and it—I mean—it's just devastating up close. You roll, you roll an additional black dice for every model in the opposing unit, and it ignores cover. So it it's not the only game. should ignore like foliage. And of course we could never <laughs> get that like granular yeah. granular with which type of terrain is which. Cause yeah. Cause yeah, the terrain, the flamethrower should totally ignore some cover, right? You can't yeah. hide behind yeah. like a wooden cart. And but like a stone from... wall. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's interesting. Um, because JJ also, uh, JJ Austrian also did really well in his pool play with Orange. Yeah, Richard. right. Um, mm -hmm. both of them lost all their games in bracket play actually, but they were really crushing it early in the tournament. Mm -hmm. Um, with Horns of a Shit. Yep. Yeah. 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 Really absolutely. cool to see that. And JJ told me that his games that he lost came down to him totally forgetting his, um, secondaries and. Uh, during the game, his tournament quest in the secondaries. So he was just playing oh, the no. game and he's like, oh man, I forgot about these ones. Right. And had he gotten that one, which was an easy one for him to get, he's like, I would have won that game. Do you know what I mean? So, oh, no. um, so like, I still think that they had a good showing from JJ as well. And yeah, he probably yeah. would have placed higher, which would have been interesting. Had he, I just think it was kind of the end of the day and he was just kind of like, okay, like, you know, just forgetting some of the little things. Um, yeah. With it. So yeah. That was yeah. Interesting. And it's interesting because did we see any Rottmeyer Creed? We did not. Uh, no. Nope. No. So the out of that box, the horns came and they uh, they they made a presence. Yes, they yeah. did. Yes, they did. People have been but, playing Rottmeyer Creed. You see them from time to time, but yeah, none of them at this tournament. Yeah. Um, my my takeaway was Robert's list. Uh, Robert Visconti, right? Who people know as Girth Demon on on the discord channels and stuff like that. But listen, he put a lot of thought into that list and we, and we talked about it a little bit in our list show, but I didn't understand the combos that he had really thought through. And the main one that became very apparent during the games was the cruel boys reaction where he would position them three. He would position himself, uh, Hrothgorn within three inches of a cruel boys, uh, Sticka, right, and then somebody would come within three inches of him of of that um, of that little model, and he would give Hrothgorn their basically a reaction to uh, uh, make a bonus attack. So they're just they're just tossing them their reactions, and he's just devastating them with that crossbow. So um, it came down to like his his list really came down to control of the board which is interesting, right? Because he played a control game that was offensive. It was an offensive control game because he had to control the board in such a way that models would move in without getting engaged, but move in within a space enough that he could then attack them and wipe them off the board because like an extra bonus attack from Hrothgorn on a chaff is like, goodbye. Like you're, you know, you're, you're kind of gone. 
So um, he did really like that was a great thing. He had a Bruget. He had um, I think he had a Bruget. He had um, no, it was Quiv. He had Quiv that gave the bonus um, attack action as well. So basically, that whole list was centered on on feeding Hrothgorn extra attacks, right? And where he kind of I think ran into the buzzsaw a little bit was Justin's list um, where the Hrothgorn and a Gutlord ended up colliding. And basically knocking both of each other off, like in round one or two, you know what I yeah. mean. And so his big hammer was gone, but one of Justin's big hammers was gone as well, you know. Yeah. So, um, but with that said, like I, I think it was just a really like well thought out list that I didn't understand until I saw it in action, and I'm like, wow, this was this was really really good. And he did catch that draw against Stormcast, and I'd be really mm -hmm. interested because I was looking at the the incredible stats on Hrothgorn, but the one thing is that actually killing Stormcast with that toughness six is actually really tough. Um, yeah. So that might be like a if you're worried about people locally picking up lots of Hrothgorns and having to deal with it in your local meta, you might want to think about you know. Was that draw against Stormcast? Is that onto something? Like, is that going to be something that you can pick to fight against it? Uh, if you're kind of worried about people netlisting mm -hmm. Robert's list, because I do think that it was really impressive the way he applied it, and I think you could do interesting things in a variety of factions with Rothgorn. But I listened back to our list show, and we did catch some of the combos when we talked yes. about it. We talked about the. Um, Fruel Boy's reaction, and we talked about the Quiv stuff, and yeah, I think that's really, really impressive the way it all came together. It, just, it was really cool. It, it was just more impressive to see it in person. It's almost like talking sure. about like LeBron James's stats, but then you go <laughs> see it at a Lakers game, and you're like, oh my gosh, okay, I get yeah. it. You know what I mean? Like, you're mm -hmm. like, oh wow, I'm, you know, this is this is amazing. Um, I will say that I feel like the top four players um, of the tournament in the top bracket were very representative of who probably should have been there. Um, like, I think if Andy had run into Peter's list or if Andy had run into Justin's list, I don't know that the Camara would have fared as well. I mean, we don't know unless they play, of course, you know, um, and, and I think it would have been also a little scenario dependent too. But um, yeah, I think yeah. the only the only list I saw that I thought could have machine gunned down some of the lists that were in the final four was that KO list that mm -hmm. came in fifth with a four and one record where um, he lost on a treasure mission, which that mission, I do like it as a mission generally, but sometimes going first matters a lot like and oh, KO, we'll aren't that, that. <laughs> KO aren't that great at treasure missions in general. Yeah. It's like the one kind of Achilles heel they've got. If that KO list had gotten into Reaper against any of the three non-shooting lists, you know, like against uh, the Horns, the Ogres, or the Gloom Spike gets, I think that that KO list would have just machine gunned them off the board mm -hmm. in Reaper. Yeah. But, um, but you know, they lost in the pool yeah. play, so you don't get to do that. So that's kind of a... Well, and I mean, he did play bracket. one of those lists. I think he, did he play? Well, it was Frothgorn versus KO. Yep, that's on, right. But on a, you know, treasure, that's those right. treasure yeah, missions yeah, yeah, yeah. can be weird. Um, but yep. I do think, I like Frothgorn specifically going into KO too. And so that's kind of smart 
by Robert because, you know, just the one big gun you can, they have to set up their fight for profit combos. And yeah. in the time it takes them to do that, Frothgorn can take two shots, right? Because they've got to go like, it's a little like a Brewgate combo, right? They've got to go like set up the ability, next activation, get right. the payoff. And so being able to get your shots in in between those uh, gives you a little advantage in the gun line battle. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so I thought that the, fi the top finals were excellent matchups. I mean, they were some sweaty matches, right, that were that mm -hmm. were happening. Um, and, uh, you know, Justin Orton came out on top with his uh, double trouble list. Uh, you know, which is a nasty list that I played against. I played against that exact list at uh, Depticon and um, sp specifically on Reaper with my bone splitters. And I had just had no answer to it um, because he was able to <laughs> basically corral all of his, his, um, his, uh, his grots into a little, little corner and then basically guard the two entrances with the, <laughs> with the gut Lords. I'm like, okay, well, this isn't going to yeah. happen. So, <laughs> um, you know, so anyway, but um yeah, I think, um, you know, good on Justin for uh, winning. I think Robert did an amazing job. Like that game um, was, an, was an excellent game. Peter and Javi's game was amazing uh, as well. Like it just was, you know, so tight. Like those, both Javi and Peter are such methodical players that mm -hmm. it was literally like watching, I mean, it was a chess match on the board as they were both trying to, you know, outthink three steps ahead, and you could see them just like so intent on what was happening, and it was just a, it was such a really really good um, matchup there that that happened. So, congrats to you know our top four folks that that played. Um, they were all, um, you know, they they all had they they all came to play in the tournament for sure, you know, and um, had had thought about their list for a long time before they came, and um, thought about the tournament missions as well like they were designed around the mission pack that we had put out right and i think that that was a deciding factor in how well they did um throughout the tournament so um yeah congrats to all of them uh anything else you guys want to bring up from the tournament before we actually start talking about the tournament itself and and you know express our various opinions about how well we thought it did <laughs> sure yeah let's get into it let's move uh all right move so yeah, so one of the things that we decided to do is send out a little survey to our players just to kind of see what they thought about it. Um, you know, we had talked about in the beginning of the tournament and at the end at the end of it that this was kind of an experiment. We wanted to try a more sports-style tournament versus the straight Swiss that most of the Warcry um, community had done. And um, we wanted their feedback on it. Um, I, I will... I, I want to kind of set some kind of knowns as we talk about this so we were supposed to have 32 we ended up having 25 um and then we added staff bot um which was our night hunt list to uh, just make sure that we had round numbers so that we nobody had to sit out around or you know have a buy or something like that um and as predicted staff bot made it to the very bottom of the tables um you know as as it probably should have where you know it um served its purpose like throughout the tournament so um, so if we had 32, I think it, um, you know, we would have had full eight person, um, 
pools and we can talk about the impact of six person pools in the pool when we get to the pool play. But I just want to, you know, so we didn't have a full tournament. I think drops are to be expected. And that's probably something that we need to think about how to incorporate in doing something like this. Cause if there had been 30, you know, 32 full players, I think it would have changed, not really changed the tournament a lot, but it would have made some um, weird things not happen as much like ties um on points and things like that right so um but anyway let's let's uh, get into it so the first thing that we want to talk about and this is one thing that i think um we really harped on was the idea of having a different point system um so what we did is we had a scaled battle point system and we talked about this in um our episode two two times ago where in the first three rounds in the pool play we would um, take the victory points that you would earn, and there was a scaled system. So if you won a lopsided victory, you would win 20 to 0. If you um, won a, a much tighter game, it might be 11 to 9, or 13 to 8, or you know 15 to 5, or something like that. Um, and if you drawed, it was 10-10. So the advantages, this is something that we took from Age of Sigmar. They've been doing that in their tournaments um, lately. And there's like people who love it and people who don't like it as much. Because what it does is it rewards the losers, but it can punish the winners a little bit, right? Like if you end up winning, if you're talking about just straight battle points, um, if you end up winning, you may not win a major victory, which counts a certain, like for example, in Warcry, if you won a major victory, it was straight up 20 points a minor victory was 15 a draw was 10 right so now if you win um even pretty good you still may only end up with 15 points versus the five because your uh, opponent ended up scoring some of their secondaries or got a couple of points or something like that so it can um it definitely rewards the loser for playing a very good game but it can punish the winner for playing a decent game um it you and know, it can it punish the winner for yeah. running into a good player and managing to win. You know, mm -hmm. like if you run into one of the best players in the tournament and you like play incredible and you win, you actually get punished. You can sometimes, not in this tournament, you had enough rounds, but in some tournaments doing it that way, you can actually get punished where you lose. You don't have a chance to win the tournament because you got paired against one of the best players in the room in round two yeah. and you like essentially got something that was only a couple points different than a draw uh but it seemed like it didn't end up being an issue here so that mm -hmm. that turned out fine um one thing i really like about it is like doing it based on how close the game was like you guys did is so much better than doing it yeah. based on models killed because some lists are not really trying to kill a lot of models. Yep. Yeah. And other lists are purposed or like perfectly happy just throwing models at you. Throwing models away. Right. Like I used to play Skaven in first edition. I played Skaven and it's like I would be specifically aiming to be on top with only my Stormfiend left. And one thing I learned after I played a tournament is like I keep catching minor wins every time because it's right. like the game was never in doubt, but it's like my whole list is meant to be like, I overwhelm you on points and my storm fiend is the is the enforcer. Yeah. And it's usually the only fighter left. And, 
it turns out like you really can't play a list like that in a big tournament where the number of points you get matters if uh if like models lost is the definer so i i do like that a lot i think that's really sleek really sleek is what i meant to say yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and so um we asked our folks what they thought about it and 45 percent strongly liked it 45 percent liked it and 9.1 percent were neutral so nobody disliked this at all And, and in fact i would say that it was you know 90 percent liked or strongly liked it Right. And yes. I think that that's um, a t- I, I think that's a telling stat right there. Uh, to, and now, to be fair, we've only got, you know, a little under half of yeah. the people who actually participated in the in the tournament have responded so far. So it's still a fairly, you know, young survey right now. And but uh, it gives us. A, of, yeah. Yeah. Of like, would the people who were like, eh, didn't love it, like, would they even be, you know, predisposed towards taking the survey but i know but i, <laughs> I know w- when the numbers are this overwhelming i think you're fine taking that that yeah. uh, takeaway out of it so i I'll, I'll point out we'll see this a little bit later there were some people who really disliked the pool play and that person was neutral on the b- battle scale so oh, it's interesting okay. they were kind of negative on the sports style tournament but they were neutral on the battle point system so i thought that was kind of interesting um yeah. that even for them it was more positive than the actual tournament format you know what i mean um yeah. so i think i think um uh let's let's uh right yeah, here. we got a lot uh, of these to go through so yeah do you believe that the scale battle point system accurately represents how you felt about the outcome of the game so like if you had a close game you got close points Again, 90. I think we can 90. skip past this. We covered like yeah. absolutely yeah. yes, right? Like, yeah, exactly. we talked about that. It's it was a raging success, yeah. yeah. 90% again, right? Do you believe that scaled battle point system created a more positive or negative experience for players? So, um, that one of the critiques of the battle point system that I had heard was, um, well, you're gonna have players that are gonna play more aggressively and really try to stick it to the to their opponent just so that they can get those battle points and potentially Mm. cause a negative play experience for them. Um, You know, so uh, yes and no. I mean, it is a competitive tournament, right? Like, (laughs) I think that we need to... I mean, yeah, it's kind of the point, right? (laughs) Is to encourage strong competitive play wherever you are. Yeah. So... I get it. Like, not letting people coast. Some people want to coast. Like, I I know it's a competitive tournament, but I get why some people would be like... Yeah, I want to drink at my competitive tournament and I want to not try that hard if the game's not close. But, you know, then you give your opponent a gift and you just you post anyway and your opponent scores yeah. more points. Like, I think that should right. be fine. But it's like yeah. people's competitive edge overrides their want to not. Do, I don't know. It's, I think it's fine. I Yeah, I think the battle point system was a huge success. That's my biggest positive yeah. takeaway from that tournament. So I actually, I kind of confused one of the questions. This is just a positive experience, right? With battle points. Sure. This is the one that was, do you believe that it led to players playing more aggressively? Um, 54% said no. Some mm. said yes. And I followed up with the people that said yes. And they're like, but that was a good thing. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like, they're like, yeah. yeah, people played more aggressively, but that was good because we're playing a competitive mm. tournament. Okay. So, um yeah, so I thought that was kind of interesting because people were like, oh, no, it didn't have really an effect. And some people said, yeah, it did for a positive reason, right? And so sure. um, kind of interesting. Um, 
yeah, we got also got some you know word feedback that said like every I wish every Warcry tournament used a scale interesting concept, you know that kind of thing. So Dan, yeah, I think your takeaway is that the scaled battle point system was a big success, probably the biggest success out of this tournament, right? And yeah. I think as a community, as we look towards tournaments, we should look at how we can incorporate a scaled battle point system into into the standard if you're running a tournament and it may not be how we did it right for these missions it may not be that like our formula may not be exactly right but i think the test proved that it was a good thing and if we can kind of iron out some of the wrinkles that might have come up because of it um that i think we've got something winning for the uh warcry community there right as mm -hmm. as teals look to start their own tournaments and things like that so um all right so pool play let's talk about this and dan i think you've got some uh some feelings about the the pool play <laughs> so it'll be interesting what did you think about the pool play um i it says here that about 80 percent of the people either liked or strongly liked it uh nine percent were neutral and nine percent which represents like those nine percent equals like one person because we only have 10 people basically sure. um, strongly disliked. Uh, so um, overwhel like overwhelmingly the people liked the pool play. And it was for some of the reasons that you had talked about e earlier, Dan, um, they loved being able to see what was happening in their pool. Like after each game, who am I going to be matching up against? Who's the potential collision courses that we're going to see? Um, a lot of the feedback that we got was lean more heavily into pool play, which is put all the pools like at the same, like basically next to each other at the same tables. Right. And, and really like encourage that kind of group um, uh, playing. And cause we had the, we had them randomized tables so that nobody was like playing on the same tables potentially, you know, um, and got like advantage for knowing the terrain that well, but they were saying like, no, put us all like on one section of the table and then rotate us to another section. I think know, that has like three. I think that's a good example of like emergent community play, right? Like everyone getting this sense of, I want to be able, I want to be nearby the people that are in my pod or my pool so that we can hear each other yelling and screaming and seeing the dice rolls and get excited about that little group playing each other. Um, yeah. I thought that was uh, that was really interesting to to hear that kind of feedback come out. It almost a little tiny, little tiny culture. Yeah, well, there's culture a social forming. experience that yeah, emerges. social experience. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. 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 Now, um, one of the things that I wanted to talk about um, this is this is this right here. I oh, think whoa, whoa, is hold on, hold on. There's a lot of things I want to talk about because I actually thought it was really problematic in a lot of okay. ways. Um, now the suction stuff is really cool but when you look at so when you talked about why you wanted to do pool play mm -hmm. the big thing like you said a few things but one of the big things you said was to get people playing close games quicker and i think it did the opposite of that by like a really wide margin compared to swiss because when you look at the actual results of the brackets that you ended up in every single bracket had one list that just did not belong in that bracket and was way stronger than every other list. And so nobody had any close bracket play games because everyone was just getting laughed off the board by the one person who should not have been in that bracket because they just like 
ended up in a weird place in their pool standings. Um, there were also kind of odd situations with the six person pools where uh, like, um, who was it who had, I just know him by his online name, Kaler, but uh, the person who had the Thunder Skinks mm -hmm. on points had to play Robert, uh, earned a draw, but he was one and one when he played Robert. He earned a draw, which is probably one of the most impressive results from anyone in the entire tournament was getting that draw against Robert. Mm -hmm. But then he was punished because, like, because he'd been paired up, he gets that draw and then ends up, like, f near the bottom of his pool because he got le leapfrogged by a bunch of people. And then he just laughed people off the board in the next two bracket play rounds. And so you do end up with less compelling games. I've read a few tournament reports from people who are saying, like, socially really awesome but like the games themselves were not very interesting. And I think it's because the pools mm. create uninteresting matchups in the mid tables. I think they're really unfair to mid table players. Um, but everything you said, like socially about the culture of each pool is mm. really, really cool. And of course, everything it does with the people at the very top is really cool. Um, but it, it kind of makes me feel like it would be a better fit for like an invitational style tournament where as opposed to an open tournament where like everyone is serious you know like mm -hmm. and you guys said this is a competitive tournament and you call it a gt which is like a very competitive name for a tournament mm -hmm. so i totally get that with the philosophy of what you're going for is like we want everyone here try harding to win um but to me, the reality of cons is like, you know, only 40% at most of the people at any given open tournament are bringing something that they have any hopes of winning the tournament with. Um, and I think it kind of, it puts a lot of the mid-table players in a weird position with the pools and how the pools oh, shake sorry. out. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what's going on with the screen share right now, Justin. Yeah, but. Sorry. Uh, but, you know, interesting because I wrestled, right, a lot all through high school and went to tournaments like every weekend, right? And one thing that's interesting there is you've still had kind of pods in those tournaments, but the people were placed in those pods based off of the running seasonal scores. And right mm. now, Warcry is a stateless system, right? There yeah. is no... There is no concept of where you place in the rankings overall when you come into a tournament, right? Everybody gets a clean slate versus like AOS that has the ITC. So when you come into tournaments, like they can, there there can be some pairing, initial uh, pairings based off of those scores. So if, if Warcry, I think in the future had some sort of seasonal thing like an ITC, then uh and had a larger community honestly if it grew to a larger yeah. community then you could you could kind of take that kind of running seasonal standings into account when you built your pool or when you built your pods totally yeah and that would be cool so when i go to ultimate frisbee tournaments a lot of the big ones have power pools and lower pools and then it's like it'll be eight teams in the power pools and the top like after their round robins, their two, you know, the the two round robins, 
the bottom two teams in each power pool will go down and face yeah. the top teams from the lower pools. Yeah. And they'll have a bracket and then there will be a bracket of just the top teams. And you can kind of do that if you are able to precede teams based on how they've been doing. So that would be really cool if we could have an ITC system like that. I was thinking while you said that, Jason, based on how much bigger the game is now than it was a year ago and how much bigger it was a year ago than it was a year and a half ago, I would be surprised if two years from now we can we can pull something like that yeah, off. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Yeah. So I think... Um... I think the criticism is fair, right? Um, especially for the six-person tournaments, because the issue that we so we in the pools we ran Swiss style. We really did. Mm -hmm. What we did is we had the winners play the winners yeah. play the winners, right? And then you were basically ranked and seeded. Like if there's if there was ties, you were ranked according to your battle points. And so we we would match them up. First and fourth player, you know, second and third would play, and. Right. And then you kind of did that. So we used the Swiss system in there. It got a little goofy with six people, totally. right? Because yeah. um, there was, and this this only actually happened in Battle Group Two, where um, based on battle points and stuff like that, we had to. Justin had already played um, JJ, I think. Like like something had happened um, mm -hmm. where that like the first, the top two had already played each other. And we didn't want right, to like because rematch. Yeah. Alex was number one after round one, but yeah. he had to play someone who had actually lost in round two. And then right. he actually lost to the person who'd lost in or even though he'd won round one and they'd lost in round one, he ended yeah. up losing to the person who had lost. And so then it left Justin and JJ, even though it, they had just played, they basically had a draw. Uh Justin right. beat him like eleven nine. Yep. And so then JJ was still number two in, or yeah. I think, yeah, he was still number two in the rankings after Justin, yeah, um, and couldn't play him again. So, right. Yeah, and so we had weird. to kind of like do that. Now, the other six player ones worked out actually fine, where the top two ended up playing the top two. Do you know what I mean? And uh, mm -hmm. on the third one, like that, that worked out actually not like we didn't have anything goofy. It was just that battle group two. That had the to what I was saying, it was goofy for the mid-table players. Mm -hmm. Is it was goofy for almost all the pods were goofy on the mid-tables, and so then and then when people ended up matching against the mid-table players from other pods, like mm -hmm. weird kind of not close matchups ended up happening. So I'm I don't gonna, think I'm would have push, happened with Swiss. I'm going to push back a little bit on your assessment that people laughed each other off the table in the finals because. I think that happened with the Camara, but a lot of the other tables, like when we were getting victory points for Reaper, it was like three to two. It was, um, you know, it, it was very close matchups. And even the last one, like you, you talked to a lot of the players for the finals that they had, they were, they were actually very close. And a lot of people told us like, they thought that those matchups were pretty competitive and, and pretty close. And um, you'll you'll kind of see it in the survey later on when we talk about the the bracket system. Um, but I don't I don't know that there was too many lists that were laughing people off the table, especially at the end finals brackets in each of the ones. Um, because like when we were recording down the scores, which I wish we would have, and I and I told this to Jason, 
I wish we would have recorded the victory points for the last games because that would have been good data to analyze as well. And it wasn't until like we had pretty much were cleaning up that I'm like, shoot, we blew it there, you know? So, um, to, to see that, um, I'll, so, so I want to I want to address the next because we're also question. getting anecdotal data because you're saying yes. all of them were close and I read multiple tournament reports that said none of them were close and so it's like well our anecdotes here can't really like sure obviously we just read things from different or we heard from different people you know and so um, obviously having the data data is the plural yeah yeah yeah, yeah. totally so, yeah um, well, inconclusive. So- Right. Mm -hmm. So right here, did you feel like three games was enough to determine ranking within the pools? And this is like overwhelmingly no, right? It was 54% and 27% said yes. And 18% said don't know. Um, So here, here's the thing. Um, I don't think we had enough games for pool play. Right. And, And so this is, this is, I think the biggest critique of, of, from me of our tournament, which is, I don't think we had enough games. I don't think five was enough to use this system. Okay. And I think that um, we were trying to constrain it within one day. We're trying to keep it to five games, which was more than like, I think a lot of other tournaments have done already. Like a lot of them are four, you know? And so five already was sort of pushing the limit. And um, if I had six, I could have run this much differently, and I think that the pool play would have felt much more. So what I would have done if I had six games is I would have had eight pools of four people in each, okay? And that way everybody plays everybody in that pool, okay? So you've got some very clear winners, and if you don't have clear winners, it means that everybody beat each other. You know what I mean? And that's where the battle points come into play. And that's totally um, fair, right? Because it's yeah. like that's what should determine a really close pool. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so that yeah. would be three games right there. If you've got four people in eight things, that would be three games right there. And then what I would do for the fourth game is I would take the top two players from each bracket or from each pool and basically do a quarterfinals. Okay, so the number two from uh, num- pool number one would play the number one from pool number eight. The number, oh, you know, yes. and that kind mm-hmm. of thing, right? So you take the top two and do a yeah. quarterfinals. That'd be game number four. And then you've got a semifinals that has, um, you know, uh, four, uh, four people in there. And then you'd have a finals that would have two, you know? So Justin, that, that makes me so games. excited for when we can finally have two day tournaments. I like, know. could you imagine <laughs> a big two day tournament? Because you could yeah. do, you could get even more thorough with seven rounds, right? Yeah, absolutely. And then with, 32 players yeah you could do some really cool stuff in terms of formats if you had yeah. seven rounds to play with over over two days so yeah, and I, I think, think what, this, yeah, go ahead, I Jason. think what you would find is day one would be full day two would have significant drops for people that were just done having fun right that's true yeah, yeah. and i think that's true of other two rounds it is true. Oh, absolutely as well yep. yeah um, and so what you would have, uh, and so the other thing too, is that if you only had 26, if you only had 26 again or something like that, right? Like, or if you had 28, for example, um, then you could make your pools so that you would have, you know, seven of four or something like that. And you would still take the top eight. You take the top two from each bracket, but then you would go down and find 
the top points for like some wild cards to be to fill out the quarterfinals. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. a little bit more um, adjustable um, to get that quarterfinal round there than this was. You know what I mean? So I, I think, think I think the biggest Achilles heel, and I, you know, I'm just going to put a bow on what I was saying here. I think the biggest Achilles heel of this system was that I didn't have enough games. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you there. Do you think that pools, because I keep thinking about the open tournament format at cons where everybody just signs up for as many things as they can and then just like they all double book themselves and then drop the yeah. one they're less excited about the day of, which really annoys me, but, but people do that. And so there's always yeah. a ton of drops in every event like across the con. Uh, which if people just wouldn't do that, then more people could sign up for cons and it would be really great. But right. <laughs> rant aside, um, yeah. it it seems really hard to plan your pools. Right. Because like in a sports tournament, you know, like you hold a fencing tournament, these people bought their own swords, they've been training all year, yes. they're not going to yes. drop from the tournament, yep. right? Uh but like you hold a Warhammer tournament, I mean, yeah, they bought and painted their own models, but they could play those in multiple other systems too. So this is the this is the invitational versus the open argument, right? Like, yeah. do you extend an invitational where you know that those people are going to accept, and if yeah. they're not, they're going to let you know, and you can backfill it with the next person on the list, right, or whatever. Yeah. Um, versus the actual like open that, you know. You just kind of do whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that there's some. I think that there's definitely something to that um, in terms of like an open maybe needs to be a little bit more of an open format um, versus it because it is hard to plan numbers. Like, what if we got thirty nine or not thirty nine, twenty nine people? You know what I mean? Like that is yeah. such a weird number to try to put into pools. You know, <laughs> and so do you think Warcry will be big enough in a year that you could have a GT and an invitational at some point during the like the GT could just be a four round Swiss and yep. the top three players get invites to the invitational and the invitational is like you are inviting people and like you could do something like that. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I Age of Sigmar it. does. Age of Sigmar had the Invitational on Thursday, right? Their 16-player Invitational. Uh -huh. And then they ran the GT on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I think. I think you have to, sure. in order for us to grow there, it's not just about growing the community. It's about growing the support that GW will put into the game in terms of, you know, prize support and publicity and those things yeah. to make an Invitational mm -hmm. worthwhile for people. You're right about that. And the thing I was I thought you were gonna also say is grow the number of large tournaments. Like it's mm -hmm. part of for it. For example, LVO was actually asking around for a Warcry TO to uh to do a competitive Warcry tournament there and like none of us could do it. And so that was too bad. LVO's not gonna have a Warcry tournament. But I guess they were happy with how because that's run by frontline, right? I think they were happy yeah. with how everything went at Atlantic City when they ran it. And so they were asking if someone would do it for Vegas too. And no one could, but yeah, like getting to that point where we could have tournaments like Nova and Adepticon multiple times throughout the year. I mean, we got one 24 person 
no, it was 23 in the end, 23 person mm -hmm. tournament in Minnesota. That's pretty good numbers, right? That would count for a thing like that. But for the most part, uh, it's hard. Like that was maybe, I think those are the only three competitive tournaments over 20 players in the US. We keep getting like 12 to 18 in a lot of places, which is awesome. Yeah. But like getting it in these cons would be big because because it's we wouldn't be able to do like a cross Atlantic invitational very easily. Um, right. The um yeah. I mean GW's been doing it with Kill Team and Age of Sigmar and 40k, right? They've got their November Worlds tournament that they do. Mm -hmm. So and they, you know, like the winner of the London Open and some of these other ones are going to the Worlds, right? They get their golden ticket. And you know, I asked the GW rep last year if Warcry was ever going to be a part of that golden ticket system. And he said, yeah, yep, just wait, just wait. And then it's just been like crickets from them on that, you know. And I think I think part of it is that we we as a community aren't showing the strong interest behind it. Like my concern of doing a Warcry ITC format is that I don't think we have enough players willing to travel to LVO to play. You know what yeah. I mean? Whereas yeah. like Age of Sigmar, that is the largest Age of Sigmar tournament. They had like over like 300 players last year, which right. is insane for Age of Sigmar. Yeah. And I mean, the art, you know, the even when you have RTTs, some of those you're getting, uh, you know, you're getting 20 to 30 players. Yeah. So you're getting a large amount of play in between the major tournaments to build up the standings throughout the season. Yeah. And anything we do has to reflect the Warcry community too. Like, for example, in Adepticon, that 3-1 bracket of people who did really well but weren't quite in the running to win the tournament, it was all narrative players. Even though it was yeah. a competitive tournament, it was entirely narrative players because it's like those are the people who just play a ton of Warcry. Right. Um, like that whole Madison crew, they only play narrative when they're playing pickup games. Yep. Um, but because they play so much and because they explore so much of what goes on in the game, they just know the game better than most of the people who show up. Right. So they just kick people's asses, even though they're not <laughs> necessarily like competitively oriented. And so it it's a lot to think about because any any kind of larger organizational system would have to reflect the fact that you know uh eric oakland is going around kicking people's asses but he would never show up to well maybe we, maybe he'll hear this and and disagree with me but, <laughs> Challenge accepted. But he would, from what i know about like from the conversations i've had with him he would never show up to like a competitive invitational hardcore situation right. even though he's absolutely one of the best players in the country right so it's like kind of tough we'll have to think about like what kinds of uh like casual incentives for competitive play <laughs> right that we'd have yeah, to yeah. get free soda yeah. well you know i mean i think that like for example if gw were to come out tomorrow and say we have identified four major tournaments or, you know, like the ACO, the LVO, Nova Open, Adepticon, for example. Four major mm -hmm. tournaments where the, the top two will get golden tickets to come out to Atlanta in November and play the Invitational, right? And those golden tickets are like all expenses paid, like flight, hotel, tournament entry, all that stuff, right? 
Um, and so, like, if they came out and said that, I think that we would have people coming to Warcry to, to like, play competitively. You know what I mean? Because yeah. now there's something to play That's for. That's true. We'd have people who aren't playing a lot of Warcry now who would play it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So We got more anyway. uh, yeah, more stats to go down here. Let's scroll. Yeah. Um, just I'll, I'll touch on this one. I said, um, at any point during pool play, did you feel like it wasn't worth playing anymore? Because, like, for example, one of the critiques was I lose my first game. I know that I'm not going to make the top table, right? Mm, um, sure. And, you know, with Swiss, I guess there is a way for you to come back and try for that. But yeah, you can the, submarine win. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it depends. I mean, there's you got to have a lot going for you to be able to do that, too, though. Um, yep. You know, so. Uh, but I think a lot of people said no, like it didn't, I, they didn't feel like that neutral 18%. So two people said yes, right. That they felt like if they lost it, it wasn't worth playing anymore. Um, so kind of interesting. Um, yeah. Let's see. Yeah, we'll, we'll do this. So final brackets rounds. Okay. Did you like having a semifinals and final rounds after pool play? So um, one person said no. Um, the rest said yes, and one person said Reaper made it weird, which I thought was interesting. They did not yeah. like the imbalance of Reaper as the first kind of semifinal game there. Because it's so different from all the games that were in pool play. Like, because mm -hmm. it's so different from every mission that was part of pool play. That kind of makes sense, actually. I hadn't thought about that, but that makes sense. Yeah, and the reason why I put it as a, like, even the first mission there is that it is a it is a, an elimination style game, right? Where um you it's either you win the round or you don't or or there's a maybe but you play that game until you get a until you get a winner basically yeah right so um that was a hard one because you couldn't put it in the pool play with our sliding point scale with the way that yeah. it was written right know? that's one that i know a lot of competitive players who really don't like reaper um but it is one of the most popular like crowd pleaser ones yeah out in in the packs i personally really don't like reaper but i think it's perfectly fine to include it in a tournament because it's just so beloved by the community at large mm -hmm. i do i really do get it though why someone would say reaper made it weird that's really interesting yeah, yeah. i look i told i get it too and i you know I, I think it's an interesting feedback point and you know it's one of those that it's like okay well if we're you know if we're adjusting the points for tournament play for the community right if like we're coming up with a solution that's a little bit better than what gw gives us well maybe we can come up with solutions for some of these missions where there's a reaper style game that maybe is a little bit more or maybe a little bit less weird you know and i know that you've been developing your um title pack right the salty sea title pack mm -hmm. and maybe there's some tweaks in there that you've done to reaper that might make it feel a little bit more balanced so that it's not like um you know, I, th I think um, this Reaper really goes against Horde armies, right? Like, it's not it's not good for Horde armies. Um, like, elite armies that can do a lot of damage, like, can can sometimes it's dominate. It's okay this. for some Horde armies. Like, you can do a Horde KO army, and it, mm -hmm. Reaper's okay. Sometimes it's just, like, whatever the biggest thing is, that just wins. Because everything right. else bounces off the biggest thing. And it's, yeah. like, the round they kill like the biggest thing... <laughs> yeah, the round they kill the biggest thing, they win that round, but it's like a guaranteed three to one win, you right. know, because yeah, exactly. they'll eventually take down your big thing. But but then you just win three to one. Uh -huh. And so that 
can be weird with Reaper. Like it's like sometimes you just know who's gonna win before the dice even get rolled, which is not yeah the best experience. Yeah, yeah. So that's something that gave me pause. I'm like, okay, that's that's really interesting feedback, and I you know I want to take it to heart for the next time that we do it. Um, yeah. All right. So this is an interesting one here. <laughs> for the most part, did you feel like players were appropriately grouped for their bracket? Um, 18% said strongly agree. 36% said agree. So that's like 55%-ish, something like that, mm. maybe close to 60. Um, 36 said neutral, and uh, 9% said disagree. So more than half thought that it was appropriately competitive. Um, and that, again, this is 10 responses. So we're talking about like six people thought that um, <laughs> you know they're appropriately grouped and like four people thought that they weren't right so or or okay. that they, they thought it was neutral and then one person didn't think that it was that it worked yeah. out so. 11 responses so it was six and five yeah yeah so um so you know and so this is funny because you know maybe some of the people that you talked to and some of the people i talked to were in the like the neutral or the you know the pot the the positive so yeah um you know, I, and and I'm not discounting what you said. I think that's interesting. I hope more people take this survey so that we get better data on that, right? And you know, and like mm -hmm. I said, I wish I would have kept those battle points or the the victory points to show if the games were really competitive. Like my initial impression yeah. as I was entering the scores were that they were, um, mm -hmm. but you know, I mean that's also me trying to manage um, the tournament and all that stuff. So my memory sure. is not like super clear on that, right? I'll put right. that out. Yeah. Um, all right. Did having different competitive final bracket levels encourage competitive play up until the end? So this is 90% sure. yes and 9% said neutral. So I think a lot of people said that they felt like they had something to play for. Yeah. Even yeah. even if yeah, go ahead, half of them feel, half of them felt like, oh, sorry, even if only half of the people felt like people were in the right brackets, almost all of them felt like the brackets encouraged competitive play that's awesome that's yeah. so cool and it makes a ton of sense like when i was saying it was so bad for the mid table players the opposite is true for the low table players where low table games in swiss can just feel kind of hopeless but like you gave them something to play for in the low tables so that's yeah. pretty cool yeah it's yeah. funny we have a friend who plays aos and they have kind of a, a a clan or guild or whatever they want to call it where they call themselves the bottom table bullies where like, yeah, you know, if they get kicked out at the top round, but they're like top tier players, then they're down at the bottom table with someone who's just learning the game and they're just crushing them. Right. Right. But this this tournament, I think at least like you said, probably maybe problem in the mid tier, but in the bottom tier, it was like it was it was all people that were in that kind of skill area. And they were trying to win to get their. Yep. Get their bracket win. To get yeah. Their bracket yeah. Win, that's yeah. and that's pretty cool. Um and we had we had yeah. prizes for each of the bracket winners, so even your second to bottom bracket got a prize. Yeah. You know, so there was so. an incentive to keep playing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's great. I think people who do, because I'm coming out of this like I will be running Swiss at every tournament that I run, um, but it does. I've had it multiple tournaments i've tried to experiment with giving people things to play for that aren't necessarily tied to winning and losing and this really makes me want to like double down on doing more and more for people who aren't winning like i've done a few tournaments where there were narrative quests that didn't that you could achieve without winning your game that could then 
count towards prizes. And I think if you're going to run a Swiss tournament, you have to reckon with this graph right here, because I do think your format does this much better than Swiss does. Um, and I think giving like extracurricular achievements in Swiss is really important to keep people engaged. Uh, whereas your bracket play did keep people engaged in the last two games, which is really cool. And what was interesting is a lot of them said, like, I again, I can see who I'm going to potentially match up with, mm -hmm. right? And so yeah. it wasn't like Swiss is kind of one of those things that you feel like it's voodoo magic in the background on who you're going to end up placing with later on. You're like, wait, am I going to place here or here? Because like the algorithms go win losses, battle points, like strength of schedule, like it can be overwhelming you know? to people, yeah, yeah, especially like in the lower half of the tournament like yeah. in the lower third and the low tables, it can be really overwhelming to kind of see what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, anyway, so I, th I thought that was really cool. Um, yeah. Uh, all right. Let's see. There's a lot of text there, you know, that, that folks talked about. All right. Overall tournament experience, 90% uh, was excellent or very good. Every um, single response positive. That's awesome. Yeah. So that was that was yeah, really nice. That's so awesome. Um, mm -hmm. Did you feel that the tournament was competitive? I mean, hundred percent, either agree or strongly agree, mm -hmm. right? Um, I heard some people say that they felt like this was the most competitive tournament that Warcry has had to date, in terms of I would like say you know, in the U.S. a hundred percent. Yeah, they get cutthroat in Spain and Poland, man. It's crazy. <laughs> you should usually like go dig into some Spain and Poland tournaments. I saw a Spanish tournament. It was like 22 players and 12 of them had sold like grave lords. I swear to God. <laughs> it, was so, it was so silly. And yeah. uh, Poland has some tournaments like that too. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So do you, do you, do you feel that the tournament was appropriately competitive at each round? 63% um, said yes. 27% said no, and someone kind of wrote in, some final bracket pairings got a little wonky. First round is always a crapshoot, which is fair, right? And, I mean, that's kind of how it is. The first round yeah. pairings is a crapshoot. And that's going to be true of this turn, this style or Swiss style, right? Um, first round bracket. Yeah, I think this is one where, um, you know, we need a larger sample set to kind of balance this one against the question above that was kind of related to it on competitiveness throughout the tournament. Right. And uh, whether or not competitiveness is what people are looking for necessarily at every stage of the tournament. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. you guys ran a very like a a tournament style that encourages a little bit people to bring their cut through now, right? Um, which you know, maybe we'll get to later, kind of has some positive and negative implications. And you know whether or not that's what people want is kind of a fair question to ask folks yeah, yeah. uh do you believe that the final standings were an accurate reflection of tournament play uh 63 said yes nine percent said no um someone said love seeding known competitive players into different pools so that was um unintentional right so for example Yep. Peter, Justin, Javi, like Robert, like they call, they all ended up in different pools. And the way that I seeded this is because I didn't want to be accused of like playing favorites or anything like that. I literally took their sign up order that they had 
like one through one through 32 and i snaked it right across into the different pools oh yeah and so that seems like a perfectly fair way to do it yeah yeah and so it was random because it was based on their order sign up you know their timestamp of when they actually registered for the tournament yeah. and then um just kind of snaked it back and forth and uh that's kind of what i ended up with so um yeah anyway um Someone said the final standings were a bit hard to decipher. I felt like I only saw my points from the first three games, which was true. Again, this is we didn't enter in the victory points from the games, and so it was a little bit harder to read. So I think that this was a formatting issue on our tournament, like for the brackets versus the pool play. The pool play was much easier to read and understand. Um, and then someone talked about the paint, the paint contest scoring which didn't come into play in the final standings, actually. That was just the best overall. Yeah, that was um, just for the best of, best of GER award. Best of GER. So our best of GER took the pool points and the painting points. It didn't take into account the overall, right? So, and, yeah. And you guys are talking about overall. I mean, you guys talk about best general as tournament champion, just yep. generally. I think of best all around as tournament champion, but... Mm -hmm. um, I wish there was a better way to cover that race in general in Warcry because I think it's right. really valuable. We're here as, you know, people who play a game that has multiple aspects to it, but we haven't really figured out the best way to cover that. Maybe next time I TO a large tournament, I'll host you guys talking about my attempts to kind of do that. <laughs> um, I wish we'd actually done that last January when I hosted 24 players. Yeah. Uh, because you know we would have had a lot of a lot to get into there, um, so yeah, I I think you know people who are kind of confused about that sort of dichotomy, uh, this isn't really the tournament to get into it. I would say. Well, and I will say too that Age of Sigmar still has a problem of like what best overall means. Do you know what I mean? Like they're still yeah, wrestling yeah. with the right formula, and they've been doing it for like ten years now. You know right. what I mean? So um, it's kind of interesting. Uh, let's see. Okay. What do you think about this sports style format? 45% um, uh, strongly liked, 27% liked, 18% neutral, 9% disliked. So I think people like the format mm -hmm. um, of, of, this, of the thing. Now, the next question is, I think, the interesting one. If you have previously played us in a Swiss-style tournament, how would you compare the sports style to Swiss style? So you can see that this pie chart is much more spread out here, right? So 27% yeah. like sports style better. 27% like uh, uh, like or strongly like sports style better. 27% like sports style better. 18% said both are fine. 18% said they like Swiss style better. And then 9% said strongly like Swiss style better. So what is this like six out of 11 like swiss style uh, like the sports style and this um, is pretty scary given that out of 11 responses the people who are pumped about the tournament are a lot more likely to respond than the people who aren't so that is yeah. a little worrying but yep. i yep. think it is you know you can have the fewer tournaments do it the way you do it the more unique and cool it makes it that you're doing the tournament that way you sure. know what I mean? Like, yep. um, so having one tournament on the calendar that's sports style, and that is the special thing about the sports style tournament makes it cool, I think. Right. Um, hmm. Like I, 
based on what I saw, I would prefer Swiss style, but that's like other tournaments are Swiss style. So I think it's fine that you have the sports style thing if you can kind of get get the pool stuff, you know, more to your satisfaction. So one thing that I like that I want to kind of respond to is um, there was there were some folks that watch watching the tournament happen that had some like a lot of opinions about the tournament and how it was run and stuff like that. And um, I, I, you know, as I was reading it, I was just kind of like, you know, but they weren't here. Like they weren't here to experience the tournament. Some of those folks that had some strong opinions and like, I'm not discounting their ability to have opinions or, or their right to have that opinion or to formulate it from that way. But it definitely was a different, different feel when you were actually playing in the tournament and the folks mm -hmm. that walked away and like the, you know, like they're like, this was an awesome event. This is a good event. Now, part of it is that some people just like the event. Do you know what I mean? They, some yeah, of them, like, they just like the most important the thing about being a TO is vibes. And that's like mm -hmm. not something we're even talking about here, but absolutely. Like some people, if you just have good vibes at your tournament, people are going to have a great time. And whatever you did format wise, people are going to say that's like one of the best formats to do. Sure. Um, yeah. Even if it has very little to do with yeah the format Which, itself. I, so so to me the data is like, do we do more tournaments like this and kind of see how things go? You know what I mean? Like, um, as as time goes on and people have more experience with Swiss versus sports style, do, are they going to change our tune? Because you know, like maybe they'll have a bad experience with the sports style or a great experience with the Swiss style. You know what I mean? And and they have enough experiences where they can say like, okay, like you know, the kind of the cards are all on the table now and I can judge now like what I kind of like better. Right. Cause I don't think a lot of people had experience with this in terms of work, right. Tournament. And so there's a novelty about it too, that I recognize yeah. um, that's happening there. But um, it, it, I think, I think that the responses were kind of interesting um, there. Uh, let's see. Are you planning to come back? Yes. You know, maybe um, <laughs> this is the interesting one. Would you like to see the tournament expanded to six games this year? There's only one person that said no, five is enough. Oh, you have yeah. people that said yes, like like over two days, one day. Um, yeah. one person's like, I want eight games, you know. <laughs> like, this you does know? seem like it really just tells you that the Warcry diehards are the ones who responded, and the yeah. casual fans are the ones who didn't respond, which does kind of have to skew how you how you interpret yep. the responses overall yep. sure um, i'm really it was really smart of you to ask this question and the previous question because um this really teaches you a lot about who was responding and who wasn't mm -hmm. yeah. yeah for sure for sure so um you know it's kind of interesting um last one is price support uh so then we asked about just kind of like overall stuff. And one of the things that kind of stood out, like we got a lot of good feedback from people, like in terms of like the, the TO um, and uh, Oh, one of the things that I want to talk about is people really hated treasure hunters. And I think we touched on that a little bit. So we need a new treasure mission, whatever we're going to do, no matter if we're doing Swiss style or sports style, we need a new treasure mission. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah, man. I've done some some attempts to see if it's like totally screwed to the person who goes first and the yeah. data doesn't necessarily 
show it, but man, like everyone who plays it, it's it like so many way, people right? hate that mission. Yep, so yep. even if even if you think it's a good mission personally, it's like not a crowd pleaser. There was sure. a game in Age of Sigmar called Duality of Death, and it was the same mm-hmm. way. If you could go first, then you could get your things up there and block. And if you could hold on to one object, both objectives for at least one round, then you only had to hold on to one objective for the rest of the game. And then you would win automatically, you know? And Um, so um, this, this kind of felt like that to me. Do you know what I mean? So anyway, um, I'd say that was probably the most questions that were asked is wait. So if I'm holding the treasure, what are my movement restrictions again? Yeah. Like that was like the number one question asked. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that came up that um, I, I feel like we want to talk about, and this is going to seed our topic for, I think, our next winning war cry. Um, as we saw the tournament, uh, and again, I think a lot of people said this was the most competitive tournament that they've been at, right? As we, as we um, saw the competition heat up in this tournament, we saw um, some kind of some of the negative aspects of competition sort of pop up a little bit. We had a couple of people that, you know, were saying like, Hey, you might want to check that guy. Cause they're, um, they're, me- they're measuring front to back or uh, back to front when they, um, or front to back on their bases, like basically giving themselves an extra inch of movement, you know? And, uh, you know, they felt like they had to bring it up for us to watch and, you know, what we tried to do as TOs is monitor a lot of that stuff as best as we could um, and try to stay on top of it. I know personally I asked a, I was asked a lot of questions about like, hey, can you measure this for me and make sure they're within three or they're within six or something like that mm-hmm. and make a call because the two players couldn't agree on that. And that's exactly what a TO should be doing, right? Like if, if the players can't figure it out, a TO is there to help judge. Um, and some of the players, now, were, they were very um... – they were good sportsmen and very polite about it. Like a couple of those questions, it was after the game was over, they came up and said, hey, I'm going to watch this um, with this one player. Cause you know, it was almost like, I think they don't understand how to play. Like maybe you could help show them how to play and, or just watch them and make sure they don't make that mistake again. Uh, so that was, that was actually really respectful. I thought the way they did that. Some of them. Did. And um, as you know, as folks get more competitive, Right. There's the there's there's folks that end up starting, you know, they 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 feel the pressure. They they um, want to win. They've got that drive to win. They've got that competitive uh, desire. And sometimes what happens is they start to angle shoot a little bit. Right. And what I mean by angle shoot is they may try to bend the rules a little bit or what you see a lot in a lot of um, in a lot of war games like. 40k or age of sigmar is you'll see like fast dice rolls right where it's hard for the opponent to see kind of like how how they rolled and see what happens or um uh, on lack of clarity in the rules of their warband a lack of clarity of explaining what their warband does so there's some gotcha hammer moments that happen right um and I, I think there's a lot of like player etiquette that sometimes gets lost by the wayside as there's the competitive nature heats up and, you know, like it came to our attention, like in the last game of the finals that, um, you know, there might, there likely seemed that there was some illegal moves that happened, um, you know, or there was, and, and there was some, you know, lack of clarity around 
um, how certain abilities and things like that worked. And, um, you know, it, it, that honestly a little bit breaks my heart because I think that we tried to do a really good job of staying on top of these things. And, and, uh, you know, when, when we're talking with players, I say, like, please come and talk to us about this in the moment, right? Please come and like, let us kind of help be the judge. We can be the asshole here. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like we can be the guy that's the jerk and says, no, you can't move your model there. Or like, so that's, imp- that's impossible. Or you're, you know, you're moving your guy too much. Like we can be that guy. Um, but if we don't know about it until it's over, like there's not much that we can do about it in the moment. Um, but what that does is it ends up raising the question of like, what can we do better as a community? What can we do better as tournament organizers to make sure that as the competition raises up, which I think is a sign of a very healthy game that GW has, right? As the competition's getting better, um, how do we make sure that there's a framework, that there's a rubric, that there's policies and procedures and a code of conduct and all that kind of stuff in place so that if folks are kind of shaving corners a little bit to try to get that advantage that we all make sure no 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 no, you can't shave that corner that corner is there for a reason you know what Mm -hmm. i mean and um you know we just make sure that it's fair play so that's something that came up i i don't know if you guys have thoughts on that that you want to express um but you know that's kind of what i was thinking about um, some, some of it as well. So I have a few different thoughts on it. Um, mm-hmm. One is, so one thing I wanted to bring up that you didn't there is, there's sort of two pieces to this. One is if you see something from your opponent and a lot of the kind of unfortunate outside the rules things, a lot of them come with mild not a lot of there's a difference between sloppy play and bad faith play sure a lot of people accidentally give themselves an advantage through sloppy play and you should always feel comfortable to bring the to over when you see that that person's probably not cheating if they're just sloppy right but the to does need to tell them hey this is this is what you're supposed to do Um, Because that's partly a game education situation. Now, that's a little different than bad faith play, which can be really tough in the moment because it's often accompanied by a little bit of badgering, a little bit of mild bullying, a little bit of like questionable table manners. It can be difficult. You can get emotionally flooded as a player who is on the other side of bad faith play. And it can mm-hmm. be hard to remember to talk to the TO. Um, I think also some people have a worry that if the person that they think is playing in bad faith ha- like knows the TO by name and you know is like known in the community that the TOs won't side with them. And one thing I'd say to folks who feel that way is like, call the TO anyway. Mm-hmm. It's going to teach you the worst they can do is give you a bad ruling and then you know that that to is a bad to but Mm -hmm. at least give them the chance to prove to you that they can deal with you fairly even though they know the other person's name and they don't know yours like yeah at least give your to a chance to prove that they're here trying to do the best job they can 
And if you do see something, if you do feel like you are being the victim of bad faith play, let people know immediately. Now, the flip side of that, the other thing I wanted to say is, it's not really the victim's responsibility to mm-hmm. bring the, you know, other person to justice, right? Like, it is on us as TOs always in any tournament that we run to be the ones proactively making it very difficult to play in bad faith. And I think that's part of what we'll get into next month, right? At least based on what you were telling me about was maybe next month's outline. I think that'll be a really good topic. Yeah. I, um, I have some thoughts on this as well. And, uh, I, I think you hit the, a big point there, Dan is you have to not be afraid to call the TO over, right? It's not like going teacher, teacher, you know, uh, so-and-so said, you know, I think even I've had, you know, I have games where I play with longtime friends and we'll call a TO when we aren't sure on something. And it's almost a, a form of protection with your friendship with the person you're playing, right? It's, yeah. hey, you don't, we don't have to take on the responsibility of having to make a judgment call that may make one of us feel bad about the game. Let's give that yeah. to the TO and let them deal with it. It's their mm-hmm. responsibility. We can still be friends and good uh, matchmates across the table. Let's let the TO have the difficulty of making the judgment call in this decision for us. That's the point of the TO. Um, yeah. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to do that. And I think as the community learns, if someone wants the TO to come over, they're doing that to protect the relationship that they have with you as their opponent across the table. That's a good view yeah. to have on that. Um and also, which seconds your second point, which I think is valid too, is as TOs, let's be, uh, as the community is getting more competitive, let's strengthen ourselves as TOs. Let's sharpen our edges and and let's mm-hmm. be a little more aware. A great example here, as you can see right in the middle of the table, right? Uh, the t- Supervise the last match. When you've got a really important match, I know I was spending a lot of time at the table making sure I was getting the numbers into the Excel spreadsheet properly. Um and uh, could have probably just paused that for a moment and gone over and watched that match a little bit closer because, you know, it's game five, long day. People are getting tired. There's, be- there's you know, it's human nature. We're competitive. We want to win. We might try to cut corners. We might also just be tired and be cutting corners without knowing it. So it could be a combination yeah. of both. And having a TO there when it really is important there at the end uh, uh it, it's important for us as TOs to do that, yeah. uh, to provide that support to the players. Do you think staff bot needed to drop for the last round? It was so they did. Oh, it was. Okay. It, yeah. it was. I think the problem was, is just, we, we were busy, like tallying, like the points. I think one of us was sure. running to try to get the prize support from the right. tournament itself, it which was is, just, which we is another issue. <laughs> the yeah. prize support yeah. timing yeah. and all that. We, stuff. we were doing a lot so. of stuff that we could have just paused. It's true. Yep. Yeah. And yep. gone over there. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, and the, the more players you have, especially if you're not using BCP, the harder it gets to mm-hmm. yeah. sort of do all of that tabulating and TOing. Um, Cause like I've played in a 12 person tournament that I TOed and it worked fine. And I 
ran a 20 you know when i ran the tournament last january with no bcp i didn't have a single moment of downtime and i wasn't playing and yeah, i like yeah. literally did not breathe once and so yep. yeah it can be pretty overwhelming which definitely as to science the more we streamline for ourselves the better we can serve our players yeah and um, yeah go ahead jason as, last thing i was going to say is um people are tos for a reason like we love the game and we love watching and helping other people have good experiences with the game so that's another thing like use your to because there's a reason they are a to they want to be a to they're volunteering they're helping uh and we like to help I and mean, it's also i think in human nature to want to help others have a great experience and it's a fun thing to do and right? that's why you know justin and i were tos and ran this so yeah. the more i loved it when i was sitting at the table and someone said to i was like yes and i get up and grab my book hey what's up what can i do what's going on you know right yeah so that's fun and so call on your tos they're there to take that burden away from you so that you can maintain that good relationship with the person across the table from you. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I think, um, uh, you know, in terms of streamlining and, you know, I think, I think next is going to be talking about like, you know, as players, how do we, how to be better as our competitive environment grows, but as T as TOs, like one thing that Jason and I absolutely talked about, right. I mean, immediately as we were driving away from the event was we need an app to kind of do this and you know like if it's bcp that's great we haven't gotten a lot of bc support i don't know if you've noticed but not all the factions are updated in there um i've emailed bcp yeah. several 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 times to get it all updated five stormcast factions are rolled into yeah. one which is exactly mm -hmm. and so um so i mean that's one thing it's not a lot of bc bcp support and then when i asked him about support for this event that has the sport style they told me yeah we're not gonna we can't really help you so we needed to come yeah, up with our own do way Swiss over there. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so we need to come up with our own way. And Jason and I talked about like, okay, well, like maybe we'll just make an easy algorithm program. And Jason's better like programming than I am, but it doesn't have to be anything too complicated, but you know, you saw us at one point messing with formulas because Google sheet messed us up. We had formulas perfect. And then when we sorted, it messed all of the formulas up yeah, as soon as we sorted it, you know? And so Awful. then we had to like, struggle with that again and um that's just kind of like teal stuff that if we can cut the fat there you know that that'll help and one of the things that i would love to do and again we talked about this is we want to stream the top table for each round that we're looking at and so of course there's going to be a to monitoring that right because you've got to like monitor the setup and watch it and right. stuff like that and so the idea of like a to supervising the last match is going to be a no-brainer for that one because right. they're watching the stream and making sure that it's going off well you know what i mean and stuff like that so yeah um anyway that's uh, those are some things that we kind of thought about that we could do to make this better but um i think our next episode is going to focus on you know players and then also how do we as a community create a rubric or a framework that we can you know again it's like it's like we've planted we've planted a baby tree and we, we need to make sure that it doesn't get blown over in a hurricane you know what I mean? Yeah. And the hurricane is competitive play, which is great, you know, because that hurricane brings water and all the nutrients that it needs for that tree to grow, but it also can bring like stifling winds. And so if we make sure that we 
give it the proper support, then it's going to grow into a really nice tree one day. And I think that that's where we're at with Warcry right now. You know, we've planted this tree and it's growing and we just need to give it the support we need. So that'll be next, next time's topic. So, um, in the meantime, Dan, thank you for coming on. Thank you for helping analyze and providing a different perspective on this tournament. Uh, mm-hmm. We we knew I knew it was coming, and I and I appreciate it because <laughs> you know part of it is is like it is kind of my baby, and it was mine and Jason's baby. And you know when we get when you get feedback about don't, your don't baby, sometimes that. That, you don't like to hear it. You know, I, I mean, it kind of looked like mine and Jason's baby. It, it looked like us both of it us. Doesn't work, you know. It has your eyes. <laughs> and I would say to the other people like me who had criticisms of the format, uh, don't ever criticize something without putting real effort into understanding what is good about that thing. And like this, I think, really proved that there are some real positives to to what you guys were doing. And, you know, innovating and trying new things with every big event is really important and really awesome. And I'm really glad that you guys did that. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's all about getting better, which is why we sent out the survey, right? Which is why we are listening yeah. to the feedback and stuff <laughs> like that. And we just want to make it better. So we appreciate you being on Dan and, and, and kind of helping us work through this. And, uh, Jason, of course, it's always a pleasure. Thank you all to all the listeners, um, that, uh, that listen to us throughout this and, um, you know, go out and play some more tournaments, go out, organize some more tournaments. Let's get this Warcry community and competitiveness moving up so that maybe one day we can all get golden tickets and meet each other in Florida or whatever they're going to have it. So that would be amazing. So anyway, everybody have a great night. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll see you all at the tables. <laughs>